Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about advertising, marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because everything in the end is probably an ad. Uh, I'm Tim Nutt. I'm the creative editor at Adweek. I'm filling in this week for David Greiner, who's away. And I'm very pleased to have with me as my special guest, uh, Adweek contributor and all-around marketing and journalistic all-star, Angela Natividad. Hey, everybody. Uh, (laughs) Angela is joining us from Paris. Uh, It's great to have you back on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I'm so delighted. It's been a while. I feel like you were on the show once before, but it's been probably a year or so, right? Yeah, it's been exactly that long. I never thought you guys were going to invite me again. <laughs> <laughs> it went so well last time. Uh, yeah, so David's away, and actually Christina Monlos, who's also a regular panelist and our podcast producer, she's also away. Uh, she's actually in St. Louis right now, where her new short film called Special Election is screening at the St. Louis International Film Festival, which is super cool. Um, you guys I should see it. it. It's really good. You've seen it? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's super good. Um, so that's exciting. I, I lived in St. Louis for five years, and it, I know it's screening at the Tivoli, which is a th- movie theater that's like got this great history, and I'm super excited for Christina that she's getting to, to screen her film there. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, um, I don't know where she even finds the time to like make her films. I know. This one I think she spent all of uh, Labor Day weekend doing. Oh, wow. So like, yeah, like three days, three days off, make a film, you know. Easy as pie. As one does. That's very Joss Whedon. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, so anyway, with those guys AWOL, um, we're going to mess with the format of the show a little bit this week. And instead of talking about the news and, and the ads worth watching and then our big discussion, uh, Angela and I are just going to talk about creative work uh, we've written about lately, stuff we've enjoyed and wanted to share today. Um, I guess it's you could call it kind of a souped up ads worth watching, if you will. So Angela, if you're up for it, let's yeah, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, let's do it. All right, the first campaign I wanted to talk to you about, um, Angela, you wrote this up. They're these cool uh, pre-roll ads from IKEA uh, running locally in Sweden uh, by IKEA's agency there, uh, Akastam Holst. 
And they're really cool spots. They're running on YouTube, and they really kind of mess with the pre-roll format. Um, you know, so many advertisers these days are still just throwing their 30s up on YouTube, and, and, and they're, ha- they're happy with that as pre-roll. But IKEA has done something different. They're, they're joining companies like Geico and a few others in trying to kind of liven up the pre-roll viewing experience. And this campaign uh, is called Irresistible Pointless TrueView Ads. Great title. Great title. Uh, Angela, tell us what these ads are all about. So essentially, this is an extension of its uh, Where Life Happens campaign. And uh, we've written about it before. It's a campaign that's been running in Sweden. In general, it's very, it's very emotional. It tackles topics like divorce, adoption, uh, you know, the relationship with a father, between a father and daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, in general, they've just been very, you know, they've been sort of really heart-heavy think pieces. And I think what's great about this campaign is that uh, it's true what you said. It's going in this kind of Geico direction where they're trying to get around the skip ads thing. Mm-hmm. But they're going in a completely the opposite direction and they're staying really true to this idea of where life happens. And in addition to that, they're, they're bringing back this part of Ikea that you very rarely see in where life happens, which is um, that it's funny. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It's a little bit dry about its humor. And uh, what's great about this is that um, instead of making ads so super short that you couldn't really skip them anyway. It made ads that were really, really long. Like they're all over five minutes long mm-hmm. and uh, that are actually really boring. So one of my favorite ones is um, it's just a grumpy teenager washing dishes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another one where it's two teens that are trying to make out on a couch, but they can't because you're watching them. And uh, the great thing about these ads is that uh, all of the actors are looking at you. They're aware of you and they're asking you to skip the ad because nothing interesting is going to happen. And uh, <laughs> right. yeah, it's true. It's true the whole way through. Like the kid washes dishes. Um, the teens can't make out. Like that particular ad ends with just the guy lying on the couch watching TV and hugging a pillow. <laughs> it's so good yeah i know and it's very it's very life and i think that's what makes them so compelling i love boring advertising to begin with (laughs) um let's i I, they're actually they're obviously narrated in swedish but i think it might be fun to just listen to a clip uh, even though we won't have the subtitles, obviously, on the podcast. Let's listen to uh, a little bit of the dishwasher one, because her tone is super fun. Ska vi verkligen kolla på det här? Du vet att du kan hoppa över det här. Det här kommer ta jättelång tid. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 t- I talked about, I mean, you talk about longer form ads. I mean, the, the Geico ones went on, the Geico unskippable ads, they went on for about a minute or so, which felt felt long. But these go on, like you say, for, I think the kissing one's like eight minutes or something crazy like that. Yeah. So it kind of like, le- it leans into this idea of like, yeah, this is content you really don't want to watch. And, you know, uh, kind of 
funnily enough, it's exactly what it, what people end up watching. I guess there was some some data behind. Um, do you have that data behind uh, that the agency sent about uh, how long people have been watching these for? Yeah, Ekstam Holst actually said that the average viewing rate, and granted it's the agency, but um, mm-hmm. they said the average viewing rate was about uh, three minutes, which is massive when you consider that you can skip an ad after about five seconds. Yeah. And um, about 39% of people watched the ads completely. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, I assume that's uh, 39% of people who didn't click off, right? I imagine so. Yeah, they Probably. don't specify, but let's be conservative. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I love the whole move along. There's nothing to see here. Like that's the sophistication of that is cool. You know, it's clever because it's really all the other pre-roll ads that, where there's really nothing interesting going on. You know, and here, you know, because they're so all in with the idea that there's nothing interesting. That's what makes it interesting. And so you kind of get caught up in that and you end up kind of voluntarily watching this ad that they're literally asking you not to watch. So it's this funny total reversal of the normal marketing funnel. You know, one of my favorite ads ever too, which I'll admit that I didn't watch all of this. Uh, we've talked about this on the podcast as well. It's that, it's one of my favorites ever. It's that six hour pre-roll that Virgin Atlantic did a couple of years ago. Uh. And it was designed, it was six hours long because it was designed to uh, take place over the length of what it would take you to fly from coast to coast in America. And so, it, and, and it actually takes place on a plane and it's all these mannequins like sitting in their seats and, and, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody ever watched that. I just love conceptually how weird that is. And these are much more uh, accessible than that, obviously. But uh, I don't know about pre-roll, though. I, I mean, these ads are cool, but aren't we just talking, aren't we still talking about kind of a terrible user experience pre-roll generally? Well, now you're kind of getting into the philosophy of what advertising is, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> advertising by its nature is a... Uh, it's always been interruptive, even though there are a lot of ad people who are like, no, no, but we're trying to make actual content. And I think the the tricky thing about pre-roll and um, the way that YouTube specifically treats pre-roll is that um, there's this idea that we'll be, we'll be interruptive, but not too much. Like, you can skip us mm-hmm. after a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it's an unhappy compromise between these sort of, these two philosophies. And I think what's interesting about this time is that um, we're in a space now where people have so many choices. So five seconds to skip feels like an eternity online. And um, the result is that on some level, brands know that, they're not what people came to see. So they do their best with like really high production values and with a lot of talent granted to try to make those uh, five seconds count, you know, to grab uh, our attention in any way possible. And um, the irony of that is, is that uh, we've gotten used to that. We've gotten used to that kind of uh, attention, that kind of pandering. And um, Ikea leans in the opposite direction. Like with with this Ikea example and also with the Virgin example that you gave, there's this kind of slow TV comparison that you can make. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and there's this... Um, there's this idea that people, you know, in this space where we have so much that's trying to entertain us, that's working so hard all the time, we actually... Uh, Maybe sometimes we just want to go slow, like it's okay if it's not that interesting, because that's just, you know, that's the world, it's fine. Totally. I don't know if you noticed, but Adweek, uh, we're starting to run pre-roll on, on the videos that we publish, so I take everything that, back that I yeah, said about pre-roll. Yeah, I noticed that today, actually. Um, I love pre-roll. I'm going to, I just want to put that out there, that I love pre-roll. You've made this um, so awkward so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I 
wanted to mention too that these IKEA spots were directed by Martin Werner through uh, Bacon CPH. So nice job on the direction of these too. I thought the look was great and they're just so fun to watch. Um, let's move on to another ad that you wrote about this week. Uh, another long form ad, uh, more of a short film actually than an ad. Uh, it's for a drug treatment center in Malibu called ALO House, ALO House, and it's four and a half minutes long. And, you know, when I first saw this, I was pretty blown away. Um, you, you wrote about this one, Angela, too. Can you describe what happens in it? So essentially, um, Alo House is a, it's kind of like a, I wouldn't know how to describe it. It's kind of like a rehabil- rehabilitation center for people who are, who are addicts and who are trying to, to come clean to go clean. Mm-hmm. And um, so this ad is called a, This is the Journey. It's positioned as a short film. And uh, it's actually narrated by a former addict um, of heroin, Bob Forrest of Thelonious Monster. And um, it's about four and a half minutes long. And it essentially just, uh, it follows this guy through, you know, like over the course of a few minutes in his day. And uh What's really striking about it is that it's actually a lot like the IKEA ads in the sense that nothing special happens, mm-hmm. but um, it does this really nice job of um, of taking us uh, through this kind of like desperation of trying to like go clean. Like it's interesting because uh, I'm trying to quit cigarettes. I've been trying to quit cigarettes for like ten years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not the same as heroin, but. Um, but one of the toughest things about uh, quitting cigarettes is um, there are just these these moments in the day that are very short, but that feel very long to me where um, I just don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. Mm-hmm. And it makes me so anxious and it makes me feel really empty. There's this like a, there's this window of a, I don't know anymore what I'm supposed to do with this time. Right. And, uh, yeah. And I feel like, uh, this is the journey. It conveys that really well, like how, how desperate you can feel, mm-hmm. but it also, um, as a kind of crest toward the ending, um, it also, I don't know, it kind of, it reminds you that there, that there's hope in this, you know, that essentially what you're doing with this time is, a you're building a future in which, uh, you know, you're changing the way, not just the way that people who worry about you feel about you, but also the way that you feel about yourself. You know, you're working towards something that's actually a lot more important than those couple minutes where, you know, you're antsy and anxious and you don't know what to do with yourself and you feel like this is pointless. Um, Yeah, you mentioned the voiceover, the Bob Forrest voiceover. It's really, really poetic and it's really slow. And um, let's actually, let's listen to a bit of it here. I'm not sure how long we want to run this, but um, it might be worth kind of getting a sense of the pace of this ad. So let's listen to a clip right now. How much longer you want to live like this? Inspiration. Where'd that go? Dreams. Time to start dreaming again. There are people that care. Do you care? Yeah, you know, I got this email a few weeks ago with this ad in it, and I found, you know, I found myself being totally drawn in. It's like a, 
it's like a four and a half minute film. Um, you know, and I get a lot of long form content pitched to me (laughs) and often, you know, if I'm working on something else, like I'll bookmark it or I'll come back to it later or in the evening, you know, figure out whether we can write anything on it. This one, I mean, the first time I opened it, I happened to have a moment and I, I clicked play and I, I watched it all the way through. And, you know, I think it, that speaks to kind of how beautiful the visuals are and, and how compelling the voiceover is. Um, you spoke to Alo House founder f- for your story, uh, Evan Haynes, uh, who's also a former addict. Um, what did he tell you about the film? Well, to start with, uh, he mentioned something that we don't uh, that we don't all necessarily think about, which is that the the, the opioid crisis kills about sixty five thousand people. Um, well, it killed sixty five thousand people last year, and uh, it's now the leading cause of death for people fifty and younger. So it's a big problem. But uh, another thing that was compelling about this that he touched upon was. Um, that it's really coming from the perspective of a, a former addict. So he talked about, um, you know, how addiction impacted his life, how he grew up in this space where it was all around and how uh, drugs and alcohol actually, they do serve you in a way. Like uh, you don't realize that you have a problem. Like you don't realize that your life is falling apart. You're, you're comfortable in a lot of ways in this addiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when he finally when he finally pulled out of it, he and a business partner decided to decided to start a Alo House. And what I think uh, is another thing that's really great about this ad is some, and something that you can feel as well is that um, it's not talking to us from an awareness perspective. Like we want you, America, to know that um, the opioid crisis is a problem. Instead, it's actually it's like a love letter from former addicts to addicts. So it's not really going to hit everybody, but the people that it hits is going to be really resonant because you're talking to them from a position of, um, of non-judgment. Like you know exactly where they are. Mm-hmm. So for him, it's, a, it's very personal work. He also talked a little bit about the ending kind of being really upbeat. I think he said, uh, we wanted to make, this is, Uh, Evan's quote, uh, we wanted to make a piece of art that spoke to the feelings of being addicted and that if you watch it through to the end will lead you to feel a profound, emotionally cathartic sense of hope and relief. And I thought that was really interesting too, is that, you know, I think a lot of treatment center advertising kind of, you know, focuses on the problem, not on necessarily, you know, the solution or how, how to get over the problem. Um, did you get the sense that that was what they were going for here? Yeah, that's something that you can really feel as well. It's true what you said that, uh, often treatment center ads are, they, they're really rock bottom and they focus on rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's a very moralistic perspective. It's not something that, uh, people want to think about all the time because they're thinking about it all the time already if they've hit Mm -hmm. that point. Um, and even if they haven't, it's something, you know, like, you know, you don't need more reasons to feel like garbage about yourself, basically. Right. Um, you don't see any. You don't see any needles or. Yeah. You know, you just you get a sense of kind of aimlessness throughout a lot of this ad, and yeah. then and then a slowly building sense of kind of meaning, like a building up of meaning somewhere. It's really well done. Yeah, it's gorgeous because it's actually it's very clean in the sense that you don't actually see the reasons for the addiction, but um, you can feel sort of that hopelessness that accompanies the fact that it's so clean, you know. And then mm-hmm. uh, yeah, toward the end, this sort of catharsis of this is what I'm doing it all for. I'm doing it so that I can have a wider expanse in my life, which is a uh, quite literally 
illustrated with the guy running across the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the, the agency is interesting. It's an agency somewhere out in L.A. Um, called Paradam, mm-hmm. P-A-R-A-D-A-M. Yes. And they're, they're kind of a, an interesting uh, agency, aren't they? They're, they're a creative consultancy. The, the way they describe themselves, they're a creative consultancy dedicated to searching for hidden truths and alternate planes of experience. Yes. That's quite trippy. Yeah, actually, I had never heard that word before. The The site said that a paradigm actually means a, an object which reveals itself only to those that know how to see it. It's very, uh, it's very metaphysical. Totally. I think they're, they're quite based on um, purpose-based marketing, you know, which is something we've talked about a lot. They're definitely embracing that idea. This is obviously um, not as much, not, not as clear cut of a for-profit business as, as some consumer brands are. Um, but I think they are, even in their work for consumer brands, they're trying to, you know, kind of latch on to something a little bit bigger than just a sell, you know. Um, they're, they're, the language on their, on their website is very kind of very interesting. At one point they say that they say that they're just, they want to communicate with the collective consciousness and achieve harmony between the external narrative and fundamental truth. So if anyone can parse that for us, let us know. <laughs> I do think though that that's something we need right now and that's something that's also being increasingly reflected in uh, in advertising or at least uh, the advertising that we cover like there's also this idea of um buy this because it'll make you feel good or because it has like a really catchy pop track it's more like a buy this because there's a certain alignment with values or because of who we are and who you are and because you know for better humanity that's just what makes sense i mean you're seeing more of that so i think it's interesting that there are agencies that are positioning themselves in that sense of like we're we're about more than selling definitely and like you said it fits in somewhat with the ikea stuff that we just talked about in the sense that it's about slowing down a little bit right I mean, everything today is like hyper, hyper fast paced, you know, from Donald Trump's tweets all the way down the line. Um, <laughs> and this, you know, both of these campaigns that we've talked about kind of take their time. And, and if you let, if you give them the time, they reward you for it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, by the way, this film was directed by Casey Lum. So definitely um, check it out on adweek.com. It's for Alo House. Just search Alo House Adweek. You'll find it. Uh, next, next up, I wanted to talk briefly about the Hornback spot, the new Hornback ad from the Berlin agency Heimat. Um, this is uh, a, a European, uh, basically, home improvement superstore. You know, we've written about them for years. This agency client team has made amazing ads going back, you know, a long time. I mean, I remember writing about these guys like 10, you know, almost 10 years ago. Um, great partnership, uh, but the new spot that you wrote about this week uh, is a little bit different than what they've done in the past. Um, can you can you tell us what happens in it? Yeah, sure. So it's uh, smashing the cliches, yeah. And um, this is it's it's surprising for me because I've only been covering Hornbach for the last uh, year or two. But in general, you know, it's always like really burly men in states of ecstasy. They're all like kind of ridiculous, tumbling through nature, and you know, having accidents but not caring because they're building something it's very diy oriented but i think uh, what's great about this is that um this is the first ad of theirs that i've seen that's targeted directly to women and uh they could have approached women in exactly the same way that they approached men that would have been totally valid from their point of view um mm-hmm. but they didn't uh which i think uh, is meaningful especially given a the timing in which they released it, it was just uh, right on the heels of like uh, everything related to uh, 
you know, like me too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what was great about this was that, uh, it's dark. It's a lot more abstract. Like it leads with a, a woman actually walking into a dark room with a sledgehammer and there are all these statues of like, you know, these cliches that women face. Right. And, um, and there's nothing fun or funny about it at all. Like at the end when she, when she's done smashing everything, um, she's very tired. Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of pathos. And what I liked yeah. about this is that, a, uh, it's that, a, uh, like I said, they could have, approached women the exact same way they approached men and they didn't they recognized something that was very deep in women at the time that they released this ad which is um this really pent-up anger and they did the work of tying that to do it yourself which i think is incredible sensitivity on their part and also really well timed in terms of release yeah i mean it fits the it fits you know the the message of the brand right like do it yourself is is a specific idea when you're talking about your house, but it's a much larger idea. You know, I think any ad that shows a woman with a sledgehammer, you're going to think <laughs> 1984, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but like that was 30 years ago, and that was just, you know, that was a pseudo-political story about underdogs and monopolists, and, you know, Apple was 1984. It really wasn't a gender story at all. Um, you know, this, on the one hand, I suppose this, this Hornback ad is kind of about, um, you know, talking to a different part of your target audience, you know, appealing to a broader range of people than your your stereotypical, like, male do-it-yourselfer. Um, but it definitely has a much bigger point to make than just getting more women into Hornback stores, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was really, uh, again, like, super well shot. Um, the director is here, uh, Jones and Tino out of Stink Berlin. Um, yeah, I mean, it was like, and, and Hornback is, all their, all their stuff is amazing. I remember we wrote about Spot earlier this year. Um, it's a guy building a house uh, out in the middle of nowhere in the countryside, in the beautiful countryside in Germany somewhere. And he hits the wrong nail and everything he's done for like two weeks falls down, like literally on top of him. The entire yeah. house he's building falls on him. And his, and his son is dead. there. His <laughs> <laughs> kid's like, oh, his kid starts to cry, I think, or is about to anyway. And, his, and then his dad emerges sort of all beaten and bloodied from, the, from this pile of wood. But like triumphant. Gr- yeah, grinning. Like it couldn't have like even like fail harder, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what's cool. great about this. Like it it was so um it just nailed it in terms of this like zeal for DIY. Yeah. And uh they could have kept going that way, but I feel like it's so weird because um the client quotes like uh, they don't acknowledge the atmosphere at all, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um like I think actually one of them actually says like uh you know, like our, oh yeah, Hornback customers are doers. They include males and females in equal measure. There's no difference between them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, it, it's a very neutral response to actually something that's quite dramatically different from their treatment of men. Yeah, definitely. Well, kudos to those guys. Um, you know, we, we could do a whole story just detailing that agency clients kind of history together going back so many years that, you know, they did, they did a great long form film about maybe seven or eight years ago called the infinite house where it's the most, it's one of the most beautiful commercials I've ever seen. It's a, it's a guy who kind of moves into this tiny house on a tiny lot and and it it just tells his story about how he spruces up the place and it's nine minutes long and it's completely like magical realism like everything he builds in this house is like somehow 
uh, you know, magical in a, in a weird way. And all of his neighbors are like, that guy's so weird. And then by, <laughs> by, by the end, they're all like, he's sort of, you know, like a, a little deity in the middle of their neighborhood. It's very strange, but also like super art, artsy, but um, worth watching, worth like finding it. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it's great. Um, all right, let's move on. I wanted to talk about this kind of funny trend lately that, that you may have seen as well. And it's the friendly cease and desist letter. Um, yeah, you've been writing about a lot of those. Yeah, we've written about, I think, three of them in the last few weeks. So this is this whole trend of legal departments at companies um, using cease and desist letters almost like a marketing tool. Um, so it started back in September with Netflix. So what happened there, It was this was in Chicago. Um, some guys opened up a, an unauthorized Stranger Things bar. It was all Stranger Things themed, and it was advertised that way. And obviously, Netflix was not too happy about this, um, their intellectual property being used that way. So, But rather than just sick the lawyers on them with a standard cease and desist, they got kind of creative with the letter that they sent. And I'll read a little bit of it to you here. It says, um, it's addressed to the owners, and it says, uh, my walkie-talkie is busted, so I had to write this note instead. So clearly, you know, something's up <laughs> from the beginning. Um, it says, I heard you launched a Stranger Things pop-up bar at your Logan Square location. Look, I don't want you to think I'm a total wasteoid, and I love how much you guys love the show. Just wait until you see season two. But unless I'm living in the upside down, I don't think we did a deal with you for this pop-up. You're obviously creative types, so I'm sure you can appreciate that it's important to us to have a say in how our fans encounter the worlds we build. We're not going to go full Dr. Brenner on you, but we ask you, please, that one, you not extend the pop-up beyond its six-week run ending in September, and two, reach out to us for permission if you do plan to do something like this again. Let us know as soon as possible that you agree to these requests. We love our fans more than anything, but you should know the dem- the Demogorgon is not always as, as forgiving, so please don't make us call your mom. <laughs> so that was in September, and I think... You know, I th- I found that very charming. I think a lot of people found it very charming. Uh, but then this week, we got a, f- a few more examples, one of which was not as charming, uh, in my opinion, though, Angela, you can tell me what you thought of it. Um, it was from Dole, the food company. So what happened here is, you know, it was Halloween last week, uh, and a guy named Adam Padilla, who's actually an agency guy, um, he used Photoshop to mock up this kind of jokey image of like fun size salad packets, you know, instead of fun size candy, like a little salad in a fun size packet to kind of give kids as a joke on Halloween. And so, you know, it was, it was really well done, really good Photoshop job. Uh, it got like 35,000 likes on Instagram. Uh, and of course Dole, um, ended up kind of noticing it. And so they came back with this kind of weird response, which was basically, we love what you did, but don't do it again, (laughs) or at least don't do it or at least don't do it without asking. Um, and then there was a different one um, from TGI Fridays in Chicago, uh, also dealing with a, with a renegade Chicago bar, uh, this time uh, called Money Gun, which planned to dress up as TGI Fridays for Halloween. So that And that prompted a whole other kind of, you know, kind of playful note from the lawyers, uh, from the TGI Fridays lawyers. So, Angela, I guess my question for you is, um, you know, even though the Netflix one was really clever, um, do we really want creative cease and desist letters? Dude. Okay, so, you know how we were talking about Paradigm earlier and how it's kind of, like, vaguely metaphysical? Uh-huh. So, I feel like right now we're in the space where brands realize that in a 
crazy transparent social world where they get caught doing everything and sounding like robots and busting out their corporate suit shortly after sending a tweet that seems kind of funny. Um, brands have recognized that that identity that they're building outside is an identity that they have to have uh, in every engagement with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not always, you know, it's not always super well done. Like the cool thing about the Netflix thing is um, I worked with Netflix before, like uh, at my previous agency. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that you learn when you're working with Netflix is that this, this sort of attitude about like, you know, being the fun kid and ideas come first and the content comes first. And we just really want cool stuff and cool experiences like it permeates throughout the entire company i remember once we were talking to netflix about who its competitors were Mm -hmm. in the local market and they were like uh we don't consider those people competitors our competitor is weed (laughs) (laughs) nice yeah so this is a good attitude i love that like i think the thing that sticks out about the netflix cease and desist is that um it's very much in keeping with who they are as a company. They didn't have to ask themselves. I don't think they didn't have to ask themselves the question about, um, about how to go about doing this. And you can tell because even the way that they're cease and desisting is kind of like, you know, like, please don't continue it after your six week run. They're not actually saying, you know, just stop now or seriously, we're going to burn you down. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of like with the other, cease and desist letters are saying but like in a super nice way and with swag (laughs) (laughs) right well i felt like the tgi fridays one was kind of you know like you say like that's not the culture within tgi fridays i have to assume and so when they're doing this it doesn't seem authentic like it seems like like a you know for what it was i guess a pretty well done imitation of the netflix thing but just not as you know like the netflix one just seemed super natural and like you know, the writing was good and it didn't seem like they were trying to pretend like they were being a creative company. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, and TGI and then the Dole thing, I mean, my issue with the Dole thing. Yeah, is you really that, hated the, you like you have a thing about the Dole thing. Yeah, I really got annoyed by the Dole thing. Because, you know, I think partly it's because it's the situation there. I don't you know, I think Adam created a parody, you know, or a satire, if you will. Um you know, and that's protected from tra- trademark infringement usually. And, I, you know, I understand Dole might be upset about that. But, I mean, my, my larger issue here is that lawyers for big companies, you know, they often, like, overreact to stuff in general. And so, you know, when someone's telling you that you're doing something wrong and you don't feel like you are, you know, it's extra irritating if they're chastising you publicly and, and doing so in kind of a jokey way. Like, if I were, you know, if I were Adam, I'd be pissed, you know? So actually what annoys you about the dual thing is that uh, they overreacted and uh, you can actually feel their overreaction in this really forced, we're trying to be really cool about this letter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm freaking out when I shouldn't be, but I'm pretending like I'm super cool. Yeah. And, and to, to double down on the annoyance, like everyone on Twitter was like, Dole is so clever and so witty. That's so great. Meanwhile, Dole is being a dick. And they're just hiding it by this like nice, nice exterior. This is I don't true. Know. But kind nuance, right? Like really nice cease and desist letters are like a really new thing. So I guess fair enough that people are excited about it. Like if it makes lawyers sort of like loosen their ties a little bit, why not? But it is true. Um, I agree with I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm being too harsh, but maybe it's just like with Halloween, it feels like 
Dole was kind of like the evil clown in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, let's move on. One more thing I wanted to talk about um, was the, you know, the Amazon HQ2 thing. I'm sure you saw many of the not always super dignified efforts that uh, American cities put into their, their, you know, pitch to Amazon to try to bring the company's second headquarters uh, to their town. I think they got like 300, 300 responses to the application or something silly. Um, but I wrote about Little Rock, Arkansas's response, um, which was pretty clever, I thought. It wasn't sort of earth-shattering, but I thought it was nice. It was, you know, in, in, instead of kind of pitching, uh, the, you know, to the RFP properly, and because and, I, I think they basically looked at what Amazon was looking for, and they said, well, Little Rock doesn't have the infrastructure to handle this at all. So, but they said, you know, they gathered together and they said, what, what if we can do something um, about not going for this? And so essentially they... They ended up writing up um, with their agency, Stone Ward, uh, local agency. They ended up creating a, a full-page ad that ran in the Washington Post. Uh, the Post, of course, is owned by Jeff Bezos, uh, Amazon's owner. And it was styled kind of like a breakup letter, uh, which is a little weird because they were ne- never together to begin with, but yeah. <laughs> a, breakup, <laughs> a breakup letter nonetheless. And it said, uh, hey, Amazon, we need to talk. And it said, it's not you, it's us. And there was about you know, a couple hundred words kind of going into... A funny, it was kind of a funny position that that, that the ad um, puts Little Rock in. It basically said, "Well, we can't handle your business because you're a little too big, but we could handle, you know, companies that are that are smaller. In fact, we'd be perfect for companies that are smaller." And it and it was signed off uh, at the bottom. It was it said, "Love Little Rock." It led to a website called LoveLittleRock.org, and the whole Love Little Rock um, positioning was new. Like it was created for this ad, and they and they built it out into this. You know, really cool, like, business development campaign, uh, I thought. Uh, They flew a banner over Amazon headquarters in Seattle, you know, that got a lot of attention. They did an online video that was quite fun. Um, You know, I think they were the only city that really said no and built a campaign around saying no, which allowed them to sort of stand out in this really, really crowded space of companies trying to get Amazon's attention. Um, so yeah, I guess curious what you thought of, of this campaign. Oh, I feel, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel, uh, so complex. I kind of feel the way you felt about Dole, about this oh, no. campaign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Excellent. So sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's, that's great. No, because it's So just, you felt like it was like a bit opportuni- opportunistic, perhaps? It's totally opportunistic. I mean, but that's not even, okay, hold on. Like, because I, I come from the Bay Area, right? And seeing mm-hmm. how the Bay Area was profoundly changed by these massive tech companies like Facebook, Twitter, Google, and how, uh, and how the cities jockey to keep them. Like, they work so hard to keep them there because of all of the business they're bringing. And in the meantime, like, they're totally these people that are coming in as a result of these businesses are completely transforming the culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that gentrification is not something you can help and nobody wants to be the Luddite who's like, er, I don't want a renaissance. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, um, it's sad. And these are things that are not taken into consideration when you're, when you're going, hey, I kind of want to expand my city. Like the first thing people think of is like, what sexy companies can I bring over? You know, they're not thinking, how can I like build on the culture and make it richer and improve small businesses? And I think um, what bothered me about Little Rock was that uh, like they they even say it, like uh, 
they were not actually eligible for the RFP. So they knew that they couldn't, they knew that they, they wouldn't be in the running anyway, even if they applied. Right. So it wasn't a choice to say no. Exactly. It's like if a guy that I wasn't even interested in sent me a letter to be like, well, yeah, like. I'm really not that into you. Yeah, like, just so you know, like, I'm more right. into, like, ladies who are just, like, they're more like, like, in, in addition to, like, saying he's not into you and you were not asking anyway, he's going, uh-huh. like, yeah, like, this is all the stuff that actually kind of sucks about you and this is, like, the type of woman that I want, right? Like, it's, it's fine because they got, like, a lot of attention out of it and clearly they're building it into um, something that they're hoping is actually going to attract small businesses that are you know that are perhaps more interested in what little rock has to offer Mm -hmm. but like one if i were amazon i'd be like vaguely annoyed and two it's kind of like i have this vague suspicion and i think this is what itches me about this that um if they had been eligible this would never have happened they would have. that's true they would have gone for it yeah they would have just gone for it like this only exists because they were not in the running in the first place yeah, no, I, I I see I see your point for sure. I just thought it was a little clever that they they built it into the the positioning that they did. That was like a it was a you know a really you know Pacific Pride type thing. But I I agree that wrapping it in a a breakup letter there's a dissonance there that that was I can see that that might be annoying. Yeah, it makes you wonder about the degree of their civic pride. Like, how far does your civic pride go? Like, if you're eligible for the RFP. Do you still care about your compact urban footprint and the fact that people can easily get to the office on foot right now? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. All right. Well, we will agree to disagree on this one, I guess. Sorry. Um, No problem. All right, Angela. Well, you know, that's actually all the time we have um, this week. It was great having you on. We will not wait another year um, to have you on again because it's super fun chatting creative with you. Um, So thank you. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. So uh, email your questions or comments to podcast at adweek.com. We check that regularly. We might read your note in an upcoming episode. Uh, our theme music is by home. Uh, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us, and they also help us find new audiences. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.